I'm a little confused as to whether or not I uh, turn that on or not. It's, it's a little, you know, a little scary because, because they warned me as I went out to make sure I didn't have it on as I went to the bathroom. So if you guys heard any strange noises, <laughs> that did happen to me. But anyway, but anyhow, it's on now, I can tell. Uh, you have no idea how beautiful your singing sounds. I know I'm a little bit prejudiced, but I think I've nailed it. I'm, I used to be an old music major, and I know good singing when I hear it. This is, this is phenomenal singing. It's just, it's just a, a blessing to come here and hear you folks sing. And for some reason or another, some of the, best, some of the songs I just love the most have been, have been sung today, and it just kind of makes you feel like it's a foretaste of what it's going to be like on the other side to, to, be, to be with God. I hope all of you are happy. Some of you have asked me, uh, are you happy down there? It's in, in, so many, in so many words, I guess, is basically what you're saying. And, and we moved down uh, into the States because we wanted to be with our children, and we are happy. We see the providential hand of the Lord in, in getting us closer to our kids, and I hope uh, we have been an encouragement to them. They certainly have been an encouragement uh, to us. And we hope all of you are happy and are blessed, but more than happy, I hope that you're blessed. Tonight's lesson is about being blessed. And there really is a huge difference between being happy and being blessed. There's so much more with the concept of, of, of the blessedness that Jesus Christ wants for all of us to have. There's a famous passage written uh, by a man by the name of C.S. Lewis in a, in a book called The Weight of Glory. And I want to read that that to you. It's, it's affected so many people. You'll have to read it closely, but I think you'll catch the point. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of rewards promised in the Gospels, he's talking about heaven, really, more than anything else. What the staggering promises of that which is to come. Let's start again. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition while infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Are you catching on to what he's saying? You know, about the time when you think you're praying really big prayers, after reading that, it suddenly hit me just how small some of my prayers have been, and I've thought in my so-called infinite wisdom, which I think I really am missing out on more than you might think, or maybe some, you, know, you know, don't you? But anyhow, I have I've prayed some of the stupidest prayers. I don't know how else to put it. Because as you start looking at what Jesus Christ really wants for me and what he wants for you, we should be praying for so much more. We're satisfied with so much junk. We're satisfied with, with mud pies. Maybe those mud pies are in the form of a farm, or maybe they're in the form, but that's just more mud, isn't it? Or maybe it's in the form of more property in some way or another, but, but it's just all mud and it's all rubbish. The Apostle Paul calls it dung compared to Christ, and that was the very word he used in the original language. He, in a manly sort of way, wanted you to know what junk it is, just what dung it is compared to the glory that God wants you to have. 
He wants you to have something. He wants you to dream big things. See, we're not asking too much most of the time. We're just asking way too little. And as we begin in, in our study in the Beatitudes, in Matthew, the fifth chapter, verses 1 through 12, Jesus tells us that there are at least three sources that we need to, to look at, as we'll, we'll notice in a moment. See if you can see those sources. But he's talking about great the, the great blessings. And the word that he uses for blessed is the word makarios. And it has mac at the beginning. Maybe you can think of a big mac. It's, but that's what mac means. It means big. And, he wants, and, and it means he wants you to have the big happiness. He doesn't want you to just have joy. You can get that out of a bottle, a pill. You can get that anywhere, but it doesn't last. He wants you to have something that's infinite. I mean, absolutely in the shape of God himself, big, huge. And so... He says and begins, what is not really, I don't believe, a sermon on the mount, but the sermons on the mount. Because as you study through it, you find out there's one section of material after another one. And all of them are connected with the fact that Jesus wants to bless you, that one theme. But they're all little sermon digests, little sermons that he must have used in different places. Like, for instance, on the plane in the book of Luke, he used them in a different form. But he used this material to just, in the same way we are tonight in a series where people would probably be coming and going and they'd hear different parts of it on different occasions. But he wanted to bless people with this material. There's nothing greater in the scriptures than this. It, portray, it portrays to us the very heart of God and what he wants for you. Read his words with me as he speaks to those people long ago. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed, there's that word, big happiness, big blessings. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall have received mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, and so on and so forth. And it's not there, is it? It got cut off when they, when they put it on the, other, on the other thing over here. But anyway, you'll have to read it in your Bible, but it's there. You'll, and, and hopefully it'll be on, on the rest of this. There's, there's, three, there's three different things within that section in Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. There's three different sources of this big happiness that Jesus wants for you. And here they are. The source of real big blessings of all things starts out with humility. And then it grows. He wants you to have more. And then he talks about righteousness. But he wants you to have more. And he wants you to have this purpose in life that's focused on heaven itself. Those three things. Those three things. And the first of them, of course, is humility. Isn't that the oddest thing that you've ever imagined? That somehow or another, instead of being pride-filled and arrogant, that the best way to find the big happiness and the blessedness is by being humble? At first, it seems to be you know, counterintuitive. It seems to be precisely the opposite. And that, of course, is what happens so often when you're sitting around with a bunch of old guys like I, I do, and, and I fit right in, of course. And I sit down and talk to them down at the BP stations, coffee shop down there. I still like doing that. Sit around talking to them, and, and, they, and they start talking about, you know, that person who won the lottery, they, they committed suicide. And they say, know all about who, what happened to this person, that, that person. And what's the next thing that comes out of their mouth? 
boy, you know, they buy a ticket and start scratching around and everything and hoping that they're going to win the lottery. People don't understand that that's not really where the happiness is. It's where the suicide is so often. It's not where the happiness is. I read years ago, and this has profoundly affected me, even though I, w I, I don't remember the source, I'll be honest with you, but it makes so much sense, I don't think you'll argue with me, plus the fact that Jesus is the one who says humility is really what gives you happiness, the big happiness, and not arrogance. And so it, it goes along with what Jesus say, says so much, that so I'll just pass it on to you. It's a story of, of what someone pointed out in some studies that he or she did about mothers, that mothers are not suicidal. You, even with all the postpartum depression and, and you know, stuff I don't know anything about. But, but anyway, even with all of that, they are a happy group of people. I remember coming home to Donna telling me stories about, well, well I might as well say it now. But anyway, because uh, taking the diaper off one of our kids, we won't say which one so we don't want to embarrass our full-grown children, and him just wetting down the wall because that cold air hit him. I mean, just, just funny things, just funny things that just happen to you too. Remember, some of you are old enough to remember this, slopping around with those old dirty diapers in a pail. And you, you slopped around in that, that, well, no, that's not what we did. We did it in the toilet first and then flushed the toilet. And then we put it in a pail that had, had bleach in it, remember? And then you'd wash those diapers. And when you look back on that, guess what you guys are doing? You're smiling. You remember those times. Those were happy times. Those were blessed times. We had our children, they were little and cute, and so on. Even as a lot of them are, are uh, we've got a lot of little and cute kids around here too, don't we? What a blessing, how much happiness. Here's another picture, I, I forgot to, to read this to you, because we need to read what Jesus said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, he says. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, the meek, the humble, Jesus said, for they shall inherit the earth. And that's really the basis of what we're talking about here. And that, those, those are the happy people, are the mothers. But here's another picture for you. I wonder how many of you, raise your hand if you think you recognize who that is. Well, let's put it this way. Let's see how long it takes you. Raise your hand if you, if you think you know who it is as I keep on talking. She was a great movie star. She was married to... You know, great, a great actor, she was married, I think it was a great actor, certainly a playwright. She was, she was married to a great baseball player. She was, she was Marilyn Monroe, Marilyn Monroe. And she died at 36 years old, I think it was. Committed suicide. What might happen with all of, with all of the things that, that happened to her and all the greatness and the accolades that she received? What might happen if we could resurrect her from the dead and say, now in all fairness, which one do you want to be? I know at least one of these uh, Hollywood actresses at the end of her life said, I would trade it all for one good man that would have been faithful to me and I could have been faithful to him. Trade it all. You see what we're saying here? We're like people who say, we know that the lottery kills everybody, but Lord, please make me a millionaire. You know, we're asking not too much. We're asking stupidly, like little children who just want mud pies. You know, that's all they want. Rather than to ask God for what we really need more than anything else. The humility to just humble ourselves and love our spouse and love our children and love our neighbor. That's where the big happiness has been the whole time within the reach of all of us.
instead of chasing after mud pies, so to speak. But wait, there's more. You've seen those commercials, haven't you? And that's where this is coming from. God wants you to have even more. This is just the beginning. The humility is really the first step when you, when you give your life to the Lord. But Jesus wants you to go on and live the righteous life. The righteous life comes from the word dikaios. The word dikaios. Let's just read this before I forget to do it and get to talking. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's the word dikaios in the Greek. And also the, the word hagios is, is the... Greek for holy, and it's a synonym for being holy or sanctified. At any rate, uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. What he's saying here is all synonymous with the idea of being righteous. Righteousness is not this, you know, better than thou kind of attitude. This Bertha better than you, as somebody, someone put it one time. But rather, righteousness is doing the right thing. The word right is right in the middle of righteousness. And it's the very idea of what the Greek language is talking about. It means the way you treat your neighbor the right and the just and the fair way. It's the way you treat your wife. It's the way you treat your children. It's the way you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's just living the life of Christians after we have, have humbly obeyed our, the gospel. And the first step, this righteousness, is when we are living the righteous life that Jesus wants us to live. And in that we find ourselves being blessed. Just being blessed. When I was a child, which was considerably a while back, but when I was a child, I remember this. With, I remember, we, us older guys remember, we remember those early things with more clarity than we remember what happened yesterday. But I remember having a father and a mother that really didn't love each other. And I was raised in a Christian community where there were so many fathers and mothers who loved each other. And in the case of my father and my mother, my father was unfaithful. You folks know my story. I've told you this before, but my father was unfaithful to my mother. Alcoholism had a lot to do with it. And he almost would have had to been, by the time he hit the vodka stage, he would end up just being with some old woman that was ugly, like you would not believe. I'm telling you, I, I got to thinking that the devil just doesn't pay off very well, you know, just even as a child. I wasn't a Christian or, or anything. But I'll tell you what, though. There's one expression that he taught me over and over that almost became a part of my DNA as a human being. And that was to think of other people who went to church and people who had money and people who had education. They were good-feeling SOBs. I, I can hear it on his lips right now, but he didn't say SOB. He, said the, he didn't say the abbreviated form. I don't want to shock anybody. But that's what I remember. And so I would go around in, in my class and think these goody-two-shoe Christian kids down in Woodbury, Tennessee, particularly my friend Lindrell Barrett, who kept telling me all kinds of stories about how his mo mother and father, what his, his mother said to his father, what his father said to his mother. And, 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 and you know, even, even though, to be quite honest, it was a little bawdy, <laughs> some of the things that, that those two would say to each other back and forth. And so as a kid, I didn't really quite catch on. I went home to, he wanted me to go home and, and, and be with, to, you know, be at the house with him and, sp and spend the night one time. And it really made me mad at Linderell, really, a great deal. Because guess what? These good church-going people were not hypocrites like I thought at all. They weren't being, you know, they were being a little racy in their language towards one another. They were flirting. Even a 12-year-old could figure it out 
Everything Linderell said about his family was right. I needed to go to church. My family needed to go to church, and so on, and so on, and so on. And I even, it, you know, it takes a pretty dumb kid, and even dumber adults, to be honest, to not figure out that where the real blessedness in life comes is by doing the right thing, living the righteous life, just living the sanctified, righteous, holy life of a Christian, going to church, meeting with God's people. Now, I'm sure that you're not going to get as high as you're going to get on meth, but remember, the second time you hit meth, it's not going to go as high as the first time. The third time, you're going to have to take more and more, and there's not anything in the world that Christianity, God doesn't want you to have that. He says, you don't need any mud. You need something more. You need something bigger. You need the kind of blessings that won't be here, that won't make you feel high for 5 or 10 or even, even 24 hours, but that will, will make you blessed for an eternity, forever. Something that's so big that there's not anybody here that's smart enough to wrap that idea of eternity and infinity around their, around their, in their minds. You, you just can't do it. God wants us to have more. And so Jesus goes on from here and says, wait, there's even more than this. I want you folks to understand what your true purpose in life is all about. And the true purpose of your life, Jesus said His purpose was to seek and save the lost. That's why He came. To take as many people to heaven as He could. On another occasion, He says, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's just another way of saying, I want you to have eternal life. I want you to have heavenly life. He's saying the same thing. He's saying you, He wants you to have something great. He wants you to be made in the very image of God. Listen to the way Jesus puts it. Blessed, Jesus says, are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. What does he mean by that? He says, you believe in your purpose, believe in heaven so much, that even if they persecute you, it's just a pleasant reminder of what your purpose on life is. It's worth going through a little suffering because we're headed to heaven. Or as Paul put it, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed to us. Romans 8, verse 18. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. That's what it's all about. It's all about headed to heaven. That's the big picture. That's what Jesus wants for you more than anything else. Now, I... I would like to be able to be mathematical, and, and I joke around, and it's more true, true than false. I married Donna so I'd have smart children because I was afraid otherwise I wouldn't. But in, in, in the area of math, that's really true. And so I really can't wrap some of this stuff about Einstein around my mind, but I can dream. I can dream. I have as much right to go and lay down at night and dream about how great infinity must be about. And Einstein talked about, about how time and space really are not as, as, as linear. Time is not linear. It can speed up. It can slow down. There's space warps. There's stuff that somebody here has got to be smart can explain it to you, but I certainly can't explain it. And he, he's done the mathematics and proven it to people who are a lot smarter than I am. And I don't mind agreeing with him because it goes along with what Einstein as a Jew probably stole from the Jewish scriptures from the Old Testament. That there is a God who lives in timelessness. Time is not linear with God 
But God just goes anywhere, like running the tape backwards or forwards or any direction. In fact, he doesn't even have to run the tape backwards on time. He's in all times at all time. He's everywhere. And not only is he in all times at all times, he's in all places. Time and, pl- and, and space are so connected. And that's precisely what the scriptures are teaching when you take the time to listen to them. And it was a fellow by the name of Augustine who studied that. I think that's about the 5th century or the 500s anyway. Somewhere around in there. Began to study about this and came up with that very same concept of, of this timeless God. This spaceless t- God who sees everything. He sees what's going on right now with as much clarity as he's going to see what's going to happen in our earth way of looking at it a thousand years from now or what happened a thousand years before. Time is not linear. Space is not anything like we thought it was. It's just that way in this closed system on planet earth. And God says, I want to invite you to share this. I want you to be made in my image. Satan says, no, just eat the apple. You take a shortcut. Don't do it. Do it for yourself. That's legalism. Literally. And God says, no, the gospel is that you need need to trust in me and believe that I can give this to you. Just trust me. I'll make you in my image. You will be beyond your wildest imagination. That's why I shared so many times with you folks when I was here an expression that runs through my mind. If you could see yourself a hundred years from now, you'd scare yourself to death. That's just how wonderful you're going to be made in the image of God. You're not asking too much. You haven't, how many of you have prayed for that recently? You're not asking too much. You're asking too little. Unless you're praying those big prayers that Jesus wants you to pray. To be made in, in the very everlasting image of God. This is the idea of infinity. And heaven, by the way, in Revelation, the 21st chapter, uh, describes heaven in terms of being a cube. There's no up, there's no down. It's not, it's not three-dimensional. Have you ever read through that and say, well, that's impossible? Well, it is impossible. It's nothing like earth. There is no up and down in heaven. It's just a completely different way of looking at space. And time is just infinite. It just goes on and on and on forever and ever and ever. That's what Jesus wants for you. Now, I've been, been assigned to also talk about the gospel, and, this, and you might say to yourself, what does this have to do with the gospel? Well, everything. It has everything to do with the gospel. Jesus was speaking in the Sermon on the Mount before the gospel was given, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was before that. But even so, Jesus anticipated the death and the burial and the resurrection of himself. He knew it was going to happen. And so what we, we read about in, in the Sermon on the Mount, the passage that we've been studying, is really talking about justification, sanctification, and glorification. That's really what it's talking about. Justification is when you just got saved. It's just as if you'd never sinned, even though you are a sinner. It's the term, it's the theological term, if you please, the doctrinal term, probably more clearly said, the doctrinal teaching within the scriptures of when you first obey the gospel, when you die, when you are buried, and when you are resurrected, you die, and you're buried, and you're resurrected. You die from your sin, you're buried, not sprinkled. You're resurrected to newness of life. You don't have newness of life before you come out of the water. You have newness of life after you come out of the grave, that watery grave of baptism. And that's when justification occurs. That's the theology behind it. Jesus died and was buried and was resurrected. So don't you argue about, no, I want to die and be sprinkled and resurrected. Or maybe I want to be resurrected and then I'll die and then I'll be sprinkled. It doesn't work that way. 
That's not what Jesus did. He died, he was buried, he was resurrected. The second thing that you do is after you have been saved, then you need to act like you're saved. You need to live the sanctified life. That's saint. That's where the word saint comes from. It's like, if you mispronounced it a little bit in English, it'd be sanctified. But sanctified life. And so that's going on and living the holy life. Decaius is a synonym for that righteous, holy life. Are you catching on to the pattern here? And then what comes next after that is the glorified life. And guess what? We, you know, I have been around some old folks and talked to them, older than I am, who had so much confidence. And, so, and sometimes some younger folks, I remember one from here, who had so much faith that they were going to be with God on the other side that you could almost feel the glory already, even before. But Jesus wants you to have more. He wants to build. He doesn't want you to just get saved. He wants you to stay saved. He doesn't want you to just stay saved. He wants you to have that ultimate glorified salvation. That's what, that's what this means when we talk about justification, sanctification, glorification. Or to put it just clearly, Jesus begins in today's lesson in Matthew 5 by talking about humility, by humbling ourselves to obey the gospel, to do what Jesus wants us to do. And then righteousness is that idea of sanctification. You see how it parallels? And then when he talks about you have one purpose, and that's to go to heaven, to be made in the image of God himself, to be timeless and, and, and not just, just uh, limited by space and time, but just unlimited in an unimaginable sort of way. That's what glorification is all about. Jesus anticipated all this. And folks, you, probably, you know enough about the way I preached over the years that you know I'm really into these, these things where, where you can anticipate by what's said over here that this doctrine cannot go against that doctrine and so on. And the more you start studying the scriptures like that, the more you realize there is the mind, the Holy Spirit, who is behind these scriptures, who is putting them together in such a way that even before, you know, even long before this even, back in the days of Isaiah, Isaiah looked in the future and talked about the coming of the Messiah who would die and be buried and resurrected for you. The gospel has been in the heart of God. This is what I'm trying to say to you. But the gospel, this is what, if you, if you looked at God's wish list, it would probably be just one thing, and one thing alone, for you to be like Him. For you to quit thinking of these little small mud pie prayers and start praying in the kind of prayers that God would really buy into for you. That you would be blessed beyond your wildest imagination. It all begins when you, when you obey the gospel. All these spiritual blessings are in Christ. It's redemption in Christ, eternal life in Christ, sanctification, reconciliation. All these passages, all these blessings, all blessings are in Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says... All spiritual blessings are in Christ. And the Bible says the only way you can get into Christ is to be baptized into Christ. It never says to believe into Christ, repent into Christ, confess into Christ. But it says that we are baptized into Christ. That's where the blessings begin. That's where you humble yourself. In the words of the Sermon on the Mount, when you first humble yourself to, give, to allow somebody else. You don't baptize yourself. Somebody else has to do it to you to humble yourself and allow someone else to baptize you so that you can go on your way like the Ethiopian eunuch did. Go on your way rejoicing. Go on your way beginning this blessed life that we're talking about. I've struggled about the best way to put this, the way to end this, and so we're right on top of this. So stick with me. We're in seconds away from it, from the end. Just seconds away. How do you put this in a, in a, in a nutshell so that it can really have meaning to you? 
Don't be praying these little prayers we've been saying, these little mud pie prayers we've been calling them. In fact, God doesn't even want you to pray for bigger and bigger real estate. Don't pray to God that God will make you as rich as Bill Gates. Pray to God that He will make you as rich as God. God says, I'll buy into that. That's what I want for you, to be as rich as I am. If there's anyone who's missing out on these blessings, I would hope that you would do something about that as soon as possible. You need to die and be buried and resurrected yourself. That's what the gospel is. That's the essence of the gospel. You need to believe. Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. You need to believe the gospel. You need to die, be buried, and resurrected in baptism. But you believe the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and then you obey the gospel. As 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 7 says, you obey the gospel by through the watery grave of baptism, you die, you're buried, and you're resurrected. And Jesus says at that point, let the blessings begin. You can go on your way rejoicing. But don't think he's going to start giving you mud pies. Don't get mad at him because your bank account didn't grow. This is not health or wealth gospel we're talking about. God's talking about something that's bigger than your wildest imagination.